Hi, I'm Kari Swedberg. I've been going to House of Mercy since 2001. Um, Rich, my husband, and I were trying to find a minister to get us married, um, and we just stayed. We came because we liked music, and we stayed because we liked the ministers, we liked the community, we liked the sermons, we liked the art, we liked it all. The gospel of mercy really speaks to me. I stay at House of Mercy also because my grandparents were really involved in their church, and being involved in House of Mercy is a way that I can feel close to them now that I don't have them with me. Why we give to House of Mercy? The number one reason is to keep Debbie and Russell with health insurance and so that they can write us more sermons. That's it. We need sustainers like you to keep the mercy going. Please visit houseofmercy.org to pledge or donate. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. for lack of wonders, but only for lack of wonder. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to uh, Condomas, the uh, ancient ritual of, uh, well, we'll get into that later. Hey, you know, if you want to follow, uh, are you done? I mean, I'll just, I'll keep talking until you cut me off, so why don't you just go and do it. I just wanted to let you know if you want to follow along with the service, you can do it actually at houseofmercy.org. There's a program online, and you can also follow along in the hymn book. The order of service is printed there. Uh, I want to welcome the podcasters, no, the people listening to the podcast, and the people streaming. Watching the stream. Watching. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to figure out, you know? I know, that. who's yeah. doing it and who's... Uh... Yeah. We're doing it. We're not listening. It's clear. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of giving money... Um, you know, we're in, we're in our, our pledge drive here, and we are, have just been so grateful for everyone who's continued to support us, uh, even when we weren't meeting here for 18 months. It really made it possible for us all to be around and come back together and uh, to remain this uh, beautiful community. So if you have pledged... But wait, you know what? what? We have people coming to do the announcement. Oh, yeah, sorry. The one time I do, it's written down. <laughs> and written, all right. Come on, yeah, why don't you come down and do that? Yeah, thank you. Hi, um, I'm Ann Britt Mulberry. And I'm Kari Swedberg. And uh, we're talking about pledge drive Pledging, yeah. So, Kari, um, question for you. Mm-hmm. Why should we give to House of Mercy? Well, we got to keep the mercy going. we got to pay the bills, pay the rent, pay our, ma- our masters, not our masters, <laughs> our, our, our ministers, our ministers, pastors. Um, so, yeah, we have to pay that. <laughs> Maybe hire better announcers. <laughs> And then also, like, when we actually make our pledge, so yeah. I heard that there's going to be oh, a form out, Yep, correct? we're going to send, well, there's, a, there's lots of ways you can pledge. We're going to be sending out an email that if you would like to, um, there's a pledge link on there, and you'll be able to fill out a little Google Doc about how much you're going to pledge, and you're going to pledge that month monthly or weekly. 
Um, or you can go to houseofmercy.org forward slash donate and click that button, and you can set up um, regular payments, monthly, weekly, or however you want to. You can just set them up there. Um, or if you don't want to wait for that email, you can also go to the housemercy.org forward slash donate, and there's an email address, finance at houseofmercy.org, and you can email our our, our bookkeeper, Audrey, on how much you want to donate and how often or what you, like your yearly donation is going to be. So that is if you want to maybe send in a check or pay other ways. Yeah. And I've noticed at the back um, um, by the oblation receptacles yeah. that we have a cool little, yeah. looks like a puzzle kind of thing. It is. We're kind of, you know, we're catching up to the times. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yep. Those are little QR codes. You just scan them and it'll take you right to our, our website. And those are for making like just one-time pledges. If you're like, oh, I want to give the church an extra $20 this week, click it, and there you yeah, go. Yeah, and it's a super, super fast, super easy. easy. Yeah. Very easy. Very, very easy. We've made it easy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And last question. So in terms of the pledge drive, like uh -huh. uh, for those people who give occasionally or whatever, what is the incentive to give monthly like how does that help us well it helps us finance. to keep it helps us keep us keep us here um you know during the pandemic we did get the loans that helped us bridge that gap but now those those loans um have we've used them and now we've got to go forward and continue with bringing us youngster stuff and Condo Moss, amazing music, mm -hmm. amazing sermons, so amazing yeah. sermons. Um, uh, we'll have Easter here coming up, so there's lots of things to come and get mercy. I know on on my Sunday nights, uh, this is my time. Like, okay, I'm gonna get all the mercy I can, and for the week. Sometimes I feel like I need a booster shot on Tuesdays. <laughs> But then I could just go listen to the podcast. Oh, yeah. Right? It's a good, yeah, good way to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other thing that uh, you feel like we need to say? Uh, well, stay after. We have empanadas for Condomas. Mm -hmm. I bought lots. We'll be back there. And if you're at home, if you text me really quick, I can drop by empanadas at your house. <laughs> but you, only if you know my cell number. <laughs> there you go. That's a huge incentive. That's a huge incentive. Uh -huh. So this is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Won't you all please join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with Lord in your mercy. And I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, in this time, in this season, in the church year, as we begin to look towards the light, it seems that it's getting darker. It's time when we look towards the warmth of the coming spring, it remains cold. Remind us that we are not foolish to hope. We are not foolish to believe that justice can come, will come. The light and the warmth of your love and mercy will break into our world.
and sustain it. Our privileges vary, but they keep us from the worst effect of this world falling apart. God of mercy, draw us closer to the fire and the fight so we might see and seeing that we might confess our complicity and having confessed, receive the mercy which moves us to act in love and humility with those who suffer. We mourn the death of Amar Locke. We pray that you would be with his family and for all of us who mourn and are overwhelmed at these events that seem to belligerently move forward. Lord, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for all of those who are in need of healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual. For those who are victims of human violence, state violence, violent crime. We pray for those who feel threatened and trapped. Bring them help, bring them strength, bring them healing. We pray for those who continue to suffer, for those who are prisoners and those who are prisoners of addiction, for those who are profoundly lonely, who are left to negotiate this time of isolation alone. We know that you are a healer. Place all these petitions in your hands. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we have not loved you with all that we are. We have hurt those people in our lives and those people who move through our lives with what we have done, what we've said, what we've ignored. We ask for your forgiveness and are confident that you judge us with your grace. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. Remind us now and in this coming week of the importance of taking time in which we neither speak or listen, but simply be. May we move forward in your mercy. Amen. Tonight's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. 
and they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the people, a light for revelation to other nations and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. The word of the Lord. Isn't it great? I mean, like, seriously wonderful that however right or wrong or stupid or crazy or mistaken or, or beautiful or mediocre our activity in the world is, our perceptions, our beliefs, the sunlight comes back. It doesn't matter what we believe about it. If we worship it or even appreciate it that much, whether we call it sunlight or sun ra, whether we believe in astrology or ancient goddesses of fire and light or Jesus Christ, the light comes back. Winter, winter ends eventually. Spring comes without fail. How absolutely delightful. Like, thank God, however poorly I might understand or relate to all the most important things in the world, the light keeps coming. It makes me feel safe in a way. It's also kind of like a matter of life and death. We need the sun to come and melt the snow and warm the ground so plants can grow, so that we can have food to eat, to stay alive. This was more apparent before electricity and before semi-trucks trucks hauled avocados from Mexico to Minnesota. But we're still aware of it, right? That the life, that the light is life-giving, literally and figuratively. And it's 
utterly reliable. Of course, there would be feasts and rituals from every age and culture throughout all time celebrating the return of light. Welcome to our version of that celebration. The celebration of the midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, Candlemas. Do you know that the sun has gained a whole hour since the winter solstice? And the light will keep coming more and more, and you can count on that. You can trust it. I'm so grateful for that. I can't stop the light, the spring. It doesn't matter if I'm an optimist or a pessimist. It doesn't matter what I believe, whether I've been worshiping a true God or a false God or not worshiping at all. It doesn't matter what I've done or left undone. Well, maybe it matters, but I can't stop the light. I might take God's in vain 20,000 times a day, God's name in vain, 20,000 days. Sometimes I do. I might fail to love my enemies. I might harbor rage in my heart towards my neighbor who insists on putting increasingly offensive signs up. I can't stop the light. Neither can Trump or Biden or Putin or conspiracy theorists or COVID deniers or fossil fuel manufacturers. Well, maybe fossil fuel manufacturers can because if they destroy the planet, but actually, even then, I believe the light will keep coming beyond the physics or alongside them or whatever. I believe there's something other than us, something that permeates being the creator of life, the everlasting, live, ever living lover that we can trust. Not to make things turn out exactly how we might like but to never stop drawing all that is and was and will be toward love. Infinite mercy. So strong is God's desire to see all of creation flourish. Of course, not just Christians or, or Jews or people who adhere to particular systems of belief, not just people, ecosystems, planets, universes, I mean, clearly it's beyond my capacity to talk about or comprehend. But I love that there have been people in all times and places that were able to sense the presence of God in the world by whatever name, to feel the love. And I'm pretty sure that God wouldn't keep that love, that lively, creative, merciful love, concealed until the official institution of the Christian church was able to approve it, right? The church has used categories of light and dark in racist ways, I know. But at this time in the calendar year where we live in the Northern Hemisphere, I think that the light is a pretty helpful image to embrace. The light that shines and warms and melts the snow and ice that awakens the seeds and makes things grow and enables us to see. The light isn't Jewish or Christian or pagan or Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim, obviously, right? 
The light doesn't go to church or recite creeds. It doesn't have a mouth. It warmed the earth long before Abraham and Moses, long before popes and bishops and systematic theology. We're in the midst of the season of epiphany in the church year, the season where the church emphasizes the universality of God's redemption that goes beyond the borders of any one nation, the light of revelation for all people. That's the thing that's revealed to Simeon in the text for today, for Condomas. Simeon's an old man, and the holy life breath was in him, the text says. But that sounds like he's been waiting a long time for the light for all nations to be revealed. And there's an old woman in the text, too. There was almost always a male and female counterpart in the old traditions that people trusted. And the man and woman are both devout Jews, apparently. But what excites them here is the revelation of a light promised to people of all nations, to people beyond their own people. Simeon sees Mary and Joseph climb up the temple steps with Jesus in their arms, and he takes that baby into his arms, and he's like, okay, now I can die at last. It's not, oh wait, now I see I must convert to Christianity. No, he sees something so other, so promisingly universal, so you reassuring for all, so fulfilling of all of his hopes that he feels freed to die. And Anna, who the text says, never left the temple precinct, but served there with fasts and entreaties all night and all day, finally, she gets to go outside and eat some excellent Roman pasta. Enough with the fasting and praying all night and day. The text doesn't actually say that. But it does seem like she sees something she hasn't seen before, and I'd like to think like Simeon, it freed her to something. Maybe for her that was more fasting. But I like to think of her in some garden eating chocolate cake. It seems so fitting to me that this feast that we're observing today has never been successfully stuffed into any box anybody ever tried to put it in. It wears its many and diverse layers on its sleeve. Condomas, otherwise known as St. Bridget's Feast, otherwise known as the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord, otherwise known as the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, otherwise known as Imbolc in the days before Christianity came to Ireland, or Lupercalia in Rome, Groundhog Day. No kidding. Condomas is February 2nd officially, though it's not at all unprecedented to move it to the closest Sunday, as we have. And the old Europeans believed that the sun was out on Condomas, there would be more winter ahead. But if Condomas brings clouds and rain, the winter will not come again. Groundhog's Day. You know, almost all the holy Christian days have not very orthodox layers. 
But the church has often worked pretty hard and somewhat successfully to hide some of those layers, to tidy them up a bit. Not that it ever succeeds in erasing all the vestiges of indigenous meaning. But with condomas, there's so many loose threads hanging out all over the place, it's almost like nobody even tried that hard to make it neat. It's a very old Christian feast, one of the oldest recorded. And there was a pope, Gelasius, however you pronounce his name, in the fifth century who came right out and said that he was going to substitute a Christian feast for Lupercalia, a Roman fertility festival that had to do with the she-wolf who suckled Romulus and Remus, in which the priests of Lupercus ran through the streets whacking young women with goatskin thongs which was supposed to make them fertile. And apparently Lupercalia, the Roman feast, involved a lot of nudity and lovemaking and maybe some blood sacrifices. It's also sometimes considered the forerunner of Valentine's Day. And you know what, I guess, you know, I mean, if things were getting out of hand and the Pope wanted to replace it with something less raucous and more peaceable, fine. But the later church officials were like, no, 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 there was never anything pagan behind this feast, God forbid. It's the feast of the purification of Mary. And it's on February 2nd, not because Lupercalia, but because it comes 40 days after the birth of Christ. No one was layering a Christian feast over a pagan one. According to Jewish custom, a woman was considered unclean after giving birth, but 40 days after the birth of a male child, it was 80 days for a girl child. The mom was permitted to come out of seclusion, to be in the temple again, and for her purification, she was supposed to offer a lamb and a pigeon or turtle doves for purification, but if she couldn't afford a lamb, then two pigeons was fine. So thus, these church officials claim, February 2nd is the perfectly Christian feast of the purification of Mary. But then later, other church officials were like, no, 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 that doesn't work. The Virgin Mary didn't need to be purified because like, unlike other women who gave birth, she was never impure. So it can't be the feast of the purification of Mary. It's the festival of the presentation of Jesus. As a reminder of the Exodus in Jewish tradition, the firstborn son was consecrated to God. So that's what we're celebrating. But wait. Let's go to the British Isles for a minute. Back hundreds of years before Mary and Joseph walked up the temple steps with Jesus in their arms. Before Romans were Christian. Long before the Christian empire could have even been conceived. There was Imbolc observed on February 1st and 2nd to mark the halfway point between the solstice and the equinox, to celebrate the coming of light. Imbolc is derived from a word that means purification or cleansing. It was associated both with the sort of spring cleaning and also the breeding of sheep, the beginning of lactation. Imbolc means use milk. I mean, I guess there's some controversy about what it exactly means, but 
It was the festival of Brigid, the most beloved goddess of the Celts in all places. Imbolc was her feast, the goddess of ewe milk, light, fire, spring, new birth, healing, the mother protectress of hearth and home, the bringer of peace. Bridget had a pretty expansive role, and she was triune to boot. She was also known to turn water into beer. I did research her, but I learned most from talking to Phyllis. Thank you, Phyllis. Raised Irish Catholic on the south side of Chicago, she said her church never celebrated Condomas, or the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord, or the Feast of the Purification of Mary. It was the Feast of St. Bridget they celebrated. And St. Bridget, pretty much everybody agrees she didn't exist. But the love and the reverence for the goddess Bridget in Ireland was so deep, the customs and rituals and beliefs of the Celtic people were so rooted in their belief or trust in Bridget that there was no way that Christianity could ever be successful in Ireland unless they incorporated her. Ireland was deeply matrilineal deeply invested in their mother goddess who protected their hearth and home, the eternal flame. She kept the fire lit all winter so people didn't freeze to death. She tended the fire, and there were all sorts of rituals in people's lives that gave meaning to these mundane and necessary tasks. She was a creatress, like the midwife of whatever was born into the world, babies, and art, poetry, new ideas. Bridget was said to sing the seeds awake. When the church tried to make her into Saint Bridget, they made up stories that said she was the midwife to Jesus. Doesn't work time-wise, but... Some poets said wherever Bridget stepped, flowers sprung up in her footsteps. She was accessible, and she was friendly, and she was eager to help. Her strength was through gentleness and vulnerability. She was playful. She was loved and loving. There was no way the Christian church could show up in Ireland with some holy male god and expect the people to concede to that. Phyllis said they had to make Bridget a saint. So the Feast of St. Bridget was really the ancient indigenous feast of Imbolc with a layer of Christianity on it. There's something about this wild mix, the rituals and hopes of various and diverse peoples, pagan, Celtic, Jewish, Christian, Roman, groundhogs. Something about all these pretty transparent layers that reassures me. Maybe in, in part because it's so clear we don't really know what we're doing. The church doesn't know. It seems a bit muddled and sometimes even outright deceitful. But the confusion and the messiness, and the not knowing, and the getting it all wrong or a little bit wrong 
are fumbly, sort of yearning in the face of mystery, doesn't keep the light from coming. I suppose that fumbling sort of yearning could even help us to see. There are so many good things to celebrate, to be grateful for in this time in between, even though we lack perfect clarity. Do you think that Jesus would really want to put Bridget with her generosity and playfulness and creativity to death? We don't always know what we're doing exactly, but there's something deep and profound and true and mysterious and real and wonderful that we can't help keep noticing. And by we, I mean druids and popes and postmodern people just trying to get through winter and a pandemic and the possible death of democracy. The light keeps coming to us in spite of our accuracy. We aren't the creators of light. We aren't even its keepers. But maybe we get to hold it a little sometimes. But it's, it's kind of like we're just shining a flashlight in the dark, pointing it here, pointing it there, waving it all around. It's more like that than it's like we possess the sunlight. Lighting candles for each other sounds about right. Little flickering flames. That sounds good even. I'll take that. Enough light to wave around a little, to get a little glimpse here and there. Strike a match, light a candle, to remember the presence of God in our days. The love of the community that embodies that presence. To remind us to be grateful for food and light and spring. The candles that we'll light together tonight they will go out. I mean, if they don't, you'll probably blow them out before you go outside. But there is a light that cannot be extinguished. Thanks be to God. the House of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check out www.houseofmercy.org for all the details. 
House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad.